thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who can fell a tree using only a fish, Mike <laughs> Van de Bogart. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of quick announcements before we get going here. First, uh, a lot of new shout-outs for Patreon and YouTube member um, members that are supporting us. So we got Lauren Austin, Trevor Hutton. Boyd Stevens, Joe Statzer, Colton Tharp, Catherine C., uh, Father YX, <laughs> Terry Lynn, and Jessica Parks. So thank you. Fatherix? Fatherix? Oh, is that like their, their, Might username? Be their username? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, um, thank you. As you can see, we're continually making improvements on the new studio space. So every little bit helps. Uh, this actually was one of the most recommended episode cases we've had in a long time. I'm probably missing people that have emailed, commented, uh, on it, but yeah, well, I've seen some on the Facebook stream, like people in comments and stuff too. So yeah. I might not even have those recorded. Probably don't, but I just want to give a quick episode shout out to several people. So Larvin, Taylor Don- Donahue, Paige Bebus, and Watson. Watson's a longtime Patreon supporter. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. And as always, if you want to call the show, you can call this number 208-391-6913. You can leave a voicemail on any topic. Just be aware that we may use it in a future show, so yeah. don't say anything you don't want a lot of people to hear. Um, and if you finally, if you want to support the show, you can you can support us on Patreon, YouTube members, um, premium subscriptions on Apple. You can buy things from our stores on Facebook and our website. And um, easiest of all is you can just spread the word about locations unknown with family and friends until they don't want to be your friend anymore <laughs> so or start listening or start listening. one of the two options so all uh, right everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown march 2014 Two Dutch students arrive in Panama from the Netherlands for a six-week trip. They intended to explore Panama, learn Spanish, and help charitable organizations in the country. On April 1st, the girls were hiking on or near the Pianista Trail and never returned. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance and recovery of Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon.
So as we said, we're starting over in the El Pianista Trail, and this is the second time we've gone outside of the country. Uh, uh, Russia. We did Russia, Mexico. Mac- okay, we've done Mexico. So Mexico. like the third or fourth time. Yeah. So uh, as we said, it's the El Pianista Trail. Uh, it is La Amistad International Park. Uh, this is 239 kilometers so it's slightly smaller than the Dry Tortugas National Park. That's off of the Keys in Florida for comparison. I put so. one of the largest parks in the U.S. just for comparison that it actually is a pretty small park compared to some of the parks we have in the U.S. Okay. So yeah, the, the one in uh, St. Uh, it's Wrangell, St. Elias National Park in Alaska, 33,000 kilometers. Jeez. So. Yeah, that's nothing compared to that. And that's one of like five massive parks in just Alaska. Yeah. Well, Alaska is like the size of half our con- uh, like half yeah, the continental United true. States. So, <laughs> uh, this is considered a transboundary park created by the governments of Costa Rica and Panama. So it was established in September in 1988. It also is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. What does that mean? It's protected globally. It's seen as like a a very important place. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're all over the world. All right. I didn't know that. I learned something new today. I should have put that in here. That's okay. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. Well, that's why you told us. So it didn't <laughs> yeah. have to be in there. So that's perfect. Uh, so we'll go. Uh, we don't have information about the visitors. We have a little less information than we do from like our national parks, but we'll go over the habitation history of the area. So the earliest evidence of human habitation in and around Panama dates back to 10,000 BC when nomadic hunter gatherer tribes inhabited the region. These early settlers hunted, fished, and gathered fruits and vegetables from the land and sea while also constructing villages along riverbanks and coasts. By 800 AD, there were more than 50 distinct indigenous nations living in this part of Central America, each with its own language, customs, religions, and social structures. Of these people, two major empires, the Mayan Empire and the Me- in Mesoamerica, that's Mexico and Guatemala, and the Chibin, uh, Ch- Chibchen of the development of Panama, uh, Panamanian culture. Holy cow, I'm going to have a rough time with this one. <laughs> in 1501, Spanish explorer Rodrigo de Bastidas arrived in what is now known as Panama City, making Spain's first foray into colonizing Central America. Soon after, other Spaniards followed suit, establishing settlements throughout the region, including El Rio Chagres, and, uh, which served as a gateway for the Spanish treasure ships headed to Europe. The most famous of all conquistadors who arrived in Panama was, of course, Vasco Nunez de Balboa, who, in 1513, was the first European to cross the Isthmus and see the Pacific Ocean. Balboa's name is still an integral and iconic part of Panama, with a city and nation's currency named after him. This colonial period lasted for over 300 years until 1821, when Spanish control was abolished following the region's independence from Spain during Latin America's Wars of Independence. Once free from colonial rule, several countries formed out of what had been New Granada, or modern-day Colombia, including Ecuador and Venezuela, as well as present-day Panama, which became an independent nation on November 3, 1903. In 1904, the United States built a canal across Panama at the invitation of its newly independent government, thus giving birth to one of the world's most important waterways, the Panama Canal, which is still in operation today over 100 years later. In 1977, dictator uh, Manuel Noriega Noriega. Noriega rose to power, ushering in... Noriega. Noriega. 
rose to power, ushering in one of the darkest periods in Panamanian history until his eventual overthrow by U.S. forces in 1989. Before this overthrow in 1970s, Panama's president, Omar Trulio, and U.S. President Jimmy Carter signed a treaty that allowed the United States to retain control of the canal in ni- until 1999. A lot of interesting history. That is for interesting. For a small country. I know. Uh, here's some... In- I mean, they were one of the most important locks in the world for trade. Yeah. Before that, you would go all the way around South America with non-modern ships. I mean, it, it's, it is listed as... It's one of your fun facts, but it's listed as one of the seven modern national or modern wonders of the world oh all right well we'll get to that (laughs) yeah so here are some interesting facts about panama forget that one that mike just said uh (laughs) there's a rainforest in the capital city so panama city is the only capital city in the world that has a rainforest within the city limits hike through it at park de natural park natural metropolitano politano (laughs) with with several trails that vary in length and difficulty U.S. citizens don't have to change currency. So Panama was the first Latin American country to adopt the U.S. dollar as its official currency. That's cool. Uh, the sun rises and sets on two different oceans. Panama is the only place in the world where you can watch the sun rise on the Pacific Ocean and set on the Atlantic Ocean from the same spot. At the narrowest point of the country, just 80 kilometers or 50 miles separates the two oceans. That'd be pretty cool. That actually is a really cool thing. I mean... I wonder if anyone's just stayed there all day. Because, like, you could just come back. <laughs> yeah. They're like, nope, I'm going to get a full time lapse okay. of the whole thing. I'm sure someone has. I bet they have. Because if not, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Panama has two Independence Days. Panama celebrates not one, but two Independence Days. The first was from Spain in 1821. The second took place 82 years later, celebrating Panama's independence from Colombia in 1903. Uh, the Panama Canal is one of the seven modern wonders of the world. I bet you didn't know that, Mike. The U.S. <laughs> Army Corps of Engineers built the canal between 1904 and 1914. The cargo ship Ancon was the first vessel to ever transit the canal on August 15, 1914. Richard Halliburton swam across the canal in 1928 for a toll price of 36 cents. <laughs> and the record lowest toll ever paid to cross the canal. Oh, that's nice. Do they do it by like weight or size? I have no clue. <laughs> Uh, the Panama Canal alone generates a full third of Panama's entire economy. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, oh, was there, wasn't there a cargo ship that like tried turning around in there or something and like gummed up the whole thing for like a two couple weeks? years ago? Yeah. It was, or no, recently. that was, um, that was in the middle East, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. I remember kind of situation. some ship doing something yeah. dumb and running aground and like setting back I shipping think that lanes was for like a sh- month. Shipping lanes for oil. In the yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I remember that it was during COVID, I think. All right. Well, Panama has lots of plants, a lot of plants. (laughs) 10,000 different plant species are native to Panama, including 1,400 variations of orchids, 678 ferns, and more than 1,500 types of trees. That's wild. That is, and you know, Panama is not a huge country. Yeah, there's all crammed in there. Very dense forests. Yep. So we'll talk about the climate a little bit since you said dense forest. Uh, (laughs) Climatic uh, conditions are marked markedly different on the Atlantic and Pacific sides, even though it's very thin of Western Panama, especially in the amount of seasonal distribution of rainfall on the Caribbean side of the Tassabara mountains, which face uh, Tabasera mountains. I said Tassabara, which face the rain bearing trade winds. Average rainfall is approximately twice as heavy as on the leeward Pacific slopes. So the Caribbean coast receives 60 to 140 inches of rain per year. 
while the more populated Pacific region only gets 45 to 90. Only 90 inches. Yeah, only 90. (laughs) Well, when it's almost half the other side, it is only. Uh, Furthermore, on the Caribbean side, rain falls almost throughout the year, while on the Pacific side, there's a more seasonal variation. And Shirik province, for example, there is a pronounced dry season lasting from January to April, and March is usually the driest month. Uh, In accordance with this rainfall, rainfall pattern, Tropical rainforests are typical in the Caribbean slopes, whereas the savannas or tropical grasslands are more common southward in the seasonally dry areas between the Tabasera Mountains and the Pacific shoreline. Toward the Colombian border, both sides of the isthmus have year-round rainfall. So because of Panama's tropical location, I bet you're thinking it doesn't get cold, and you would be thinking correct. The coldest month seldom drops below 78 degrees Fahrenheit or 26 degrees Celsius on either coast. Pretty nice weather. That's amazing. The Panamanian mountain slopes create three climatic zones, a low hot zone lying at an elevation between 2,300 feet and or 700 meters, which makes up nearly nine-tenths of the country's territory a temperate zone at the elevations from 2,300 feet to 4,900 feet, and that accounts for the rest of the land and a tiny, tiny, tiny cold zone laying above 4,900 feet. Each zone has its characteristic plant growth and crops. Cacao and bananas are produced mainly in the hot lowlands, whereas coffee is grown in the temperate zone. So now we're going to talk about animals. This is where we get very unique compared to America. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, You have some stuff here that could really mess you up. So we're going to kick it off with jaguars, largest cat species in the Americas and third largest in the world at a weight of up to 348 pounds. (laughs) If you have a pet cat, know when it's pissed off at you and that's just tiny. Imagine one uh, 300 times bigger almost. Uh, The jaguar is least likely of all big cats to kill and eat humans though. So you're going to luck out. But they also have pumas. So also called cougars, mountain lions, catamount, and panthers depending on locality. Those range from 117 pounds to 159 pounds for males. Uh, they do have ocelots. Those are a little bit smaller. Margay, uh, jagurundi, jagrundis. Is that how you say jagurundi. it? Jagurundi. It's like jaguar and undies. Yeah. Like underwear. Jaguar underwear. Let's see if we, let's, let's do the translation. That's why we got this uh, nice translate machine. All right. Let's put it in. Here we go. Oh, I got to turn it on. What's it saying? Jaguarundi. 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 And it could be wrong because it's been wrong before. So uh, bull sharks, known as one of the big three in the shark world, live off the warm coastal waters and get up to 496 pounds and 11 feet with a bite force of 1,300 pounds. Yeah. Don't want to run into one of those. No. Uh, The fur de lance snake, extremely venomous pit viper that lives at varying elevations across Central and South America. They can grow over six and a half feet and are known to be very aggressive. The snake injects around 105 milligrams of venom in a single bite with a fatal human dose of around 50. So you get twice the fatal dose per bite. (laughs) I mean, that's a good deal. Yeah. Twice the fatal dose per bite. (laughs) Uh, The snake is responsible for more deaths than any other snake in the Americas with a fatality rate of about 7 to 9% if bitten. That's a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, Even if you don't die, the bite can cause severe limb necrosis, which might result in you needing amputation. Jeez. It just cuts off the blood supply. Yeah. It is estimated around 30 people are bitten each year. We also have the vampire bat. (laughs) Gliding stealthily through Panama's night skies, the vampire bat shares some likenesses with the legendary monster that they're named after since they feed entirely on the blood of other animals. Still, the bat poses no immediate physical danger to humans. 
They feed on livestock due to their abundance and sometimes on birds and other wild mammals, but they have no taste for human blood, so you'll be okay. Vampire bats are small with wingspans of 30 to 40 centimeters and weighing less than 50 grams. However, they are still one of Panama's deadliest animals since they are one of the number one spreaders of disease. One of these diseases is rabies, which is responsible for killing thousands of livestock every year in Panama, but it can also spread to farmers and field workers. Since so many bats fly around at night too, they can fly into humans and accidentally scratch or even bite them. We have uh, one of the worst things, bullet ants. <laughs> bullet ants are often described as wingless wasps and their reddish black bodies, large mandibles, and visible stingers. Bullet ants are distributed throughout the tropical rainforest of Central and South America, including Panama's jungles. Like bees, each bullet, co- bullet ant colony has a queen that is larger than her workers. The bullet ant possesses one of the most painful insect bites and stings you can encounter. After a bullet ant has secured its mandibles into its victim's flesh, it will turn its abdomen and sting the same time with a three millimeter stinger. While its venom won't cause sickness or death, it does contain a neurotoxin and the pain measures off the charts of the Schmitz sting index at 4.0 plus. Described as pure, intense, brilliant pain, the sting has been likened to walking over flaming hot charcoals with three-inch nails in your heels. The bullet ant actually gets its name from some victims having compared the pain to being shot. You could be in agony for up to eight hours after one of these stings and will likely leave small blisters on the skin. However, amazingly, there are little to no lasting effects of the bullet ant sting and there have been no scientifically documented deaths as a result. It still sounds miserable. That sounds miserable. Yeah. I was bitten by some <clears throat> ant uh, and so was my son while we were hiking in the jungle in uh, the Amazon and it was like a bad bee sting. So at yeah. first I thought maybe that's what it was and then it continued and I was like, nah, it, it didn't last that long. Mine was like a half hour. I don't remember the guy's name, but there's a YouTube guy that purposely goes around the world and tries to get bit. By you showed me this video yeah. and he he's, did this. He's probably probably been bit by a bullet ant, but it's wild some of the things he has bite him. Let's um can do we have something to write something down with? We nope. should we should look that video up for the patron show. We're yeah, doing patron well, I'll show remember this. it. Okay, I bet you won't. But <laughs> I we'll, we'll won't. try. Then we'll just do another one of just that. Yeah. All right. So the general difficulty of the El Pianista Trail, it's a four point nine mile out and back trail near the Boquet District in Sharik. All trails consider all trails considers its moderately challenging route, taking an average of three and a half hours to complete with a total elevation gain of 1,998 feet. So it's not too gnarly at all. No. It's a good hike. Yeah. Uh, it's probably beautiful, but it's not something that's like too out of the ordinary. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, seasoned hikers would be able to probably hike this. Yeah. Now you got to take into account humidity and heat because yeah. that sucks. Yeah. I, I did some hiking in the Amazon, and it was wild as yeah. far as that goes. So, all right, let's learn about uh, the ladies. Yes, uh, we don't have a ton of information on the two women that went missing, um, but the first uh, lady was Chris Kremer, born in August 9th, 1992, went missing, obviously, April 1st, 2014. Remains were found. She was a female, age 21. She was 5 feet 6 inches tall. And she was a college student from the Netherlands. Uh, the other lady that went missing was Lisanne Froon. Date of birth, September 24th, 1991. She went missing the same day. Uh, female, age 22. She was 6 feet tall and was also a... A uh, student from I'm gonna the pull their, I'm going to pull their images up Joe, right now. Joe's pulling up pictures of uh, the, the two women right now as I speak. So we'll jump right into timeline 
And this is a really interesting case. You've got a mix of, you know, there's political things going on. There's, you know, theories of cannibalism with indigenous tribes. Um, obviously, a lot of people allege that there was a lot of um, poorly run search operations and law enforcement screwed things up. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> so like Joe said in the summary of this episode, Chris Ann Lisan, and I, I might just call her Lisa to uh, abbreviate the name. Or Lise. Lise. Um, made it into Panama March 15th, 2014. They were going to do a six-week trip together. They were obviously visiting from the Netherlands, and they had worked for six months straight at a cafe to save money for this trip. They uh, planned to explore Panama. They wanted to learn Spanish, and they also wanted to help some charities in the area, which is very, uh, you know, honorable. Um, You know, they weren't just going there to party. They actually wanted to help uh, people, so... That can kind of give you a little insight into their character. They sounded like two really cool people. Um, the two women had toured Panama for two weeks and spent time in uh, Bocas del Toro together before arriving in Boquet, Panama. Uh, Boquet is a very small town located approximately 30 minutes north of the city of David, which is off the well-known Pan American Highway. They were staying at a hostel at the time that is still in operation today, today named Spanish by the River. So, fast forward now to April 1st, 2014. Uh, the two girls went hiking together without a guide near Baru Volcano. Baru Volcano is a large volcano that's surrounded by rainforest and unnamed towns and indigenous areas. The volcano is approximately 10 kilometers or 6 miles from the Costa Rica border. Although the details haven't been completely verified, it's generally thought that the goal of the two girls was to hike on the um, Pianista Trail, a popular trail that leads to El Mirador, or the Overlook, in in the area to see 360-degree views of the mountainous rainforest. So, on the hike, the two girls possibly brought with them a dog named Azul, which belonged to the owners of the um, restaurant near the, the head of the trail, This fact obviously has not been verified because it was only stated by a couple of locals. So you can kind of, we don't know for a matter of fact if that happened happened or not. But, um, you know, people have said if the pair of them had decided to bring Azul with them, it was a smart decision on their part because the dog was later important in alerting people that something had happened. So... Later that night, according to locals, the dog returned home without the two girls, which was said to have alerted the family of the girls' unknown whereabouts. Um, So the dog returned, like I said, without the girls, suggesting uh, to the owners of the pianista that something was wrong. Additionally, their parents stopped receiving text messages, which they always received on a daily basis from their daughters in Panama. The following morning of April 2nd, the girls missed an appointment with a local travel guide, which is when authorities were officially notified of the disappearance. And they were notified by a well-known guide in the area. So almost immediately a search was organized. Unlike um, disappearances here in the U.S., we do not know the methods of the search. We don't know how it was conducted. But based on a lot of stuff I was reading, it wasn't done very well. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say a country like that probably isn't concerned with it. 
Or they may not I, have may, the infrastructure or maybe to do it. Yeah, I mean, they did have helicopters. That is a pure there. assumption. I'm going off. I'm of, not saying they didn't try. Yeah, I'm not saying they might not have the best methods. I'm going off of a lot of things I read from people in the area that were trying to help with the search. That I don't think they were knocking the dedication of people looking, but um, some of the law enforcement officials involved with the search were really screwing things up. Well, okay. think about it this way: if we're going to be fair. Um, Think about how we've done search and rescue stories from 100 years ago, and it was like, throw people at it, and there was no coordination. And then we learn over time that country's gone through, like, coups and overthrows and stuff, what, like, until relatively recently in history. Yeah. So they probably don't have their governmental organization together as well as a country that's been established longer. Yeah. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So um, just to, you know paraphrase is the search <laughs> probably was not conducted at a standard that we would be accustomed to here in one of the u.s national parks and like joe said that's a combination of they probably don't have the in- infrastructure in place there to do that they don't maybe have the experience um there you know a lot of countries that part of the world there's a lot of corruption uh, so you yeah. know all of that factored in and there's uh, i was also reading there is a you know, people have kind of, the people that lo- locals there have kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, Joe? They are um, skeptical of foreigners based on the history of their country. So, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I can't think of the word, but yeah. Um, I also read this that. Be- Is it disoriented? No. <laughs> <laughs> that um, due to the history of the country, you know, you've had, you've been colonized you've been you've had revolutions leary leary even the united states has meddled yeah. in there yeah they're leery of foreign affairs. visitors so that they said also hampered some believe in the search for these two just okay. the fact that they were foreigners um people were less that's fair re- less willing to give up information so um like i said the search began in mass on april 2nd of 2014 by april 3rd the Aerial searches for the girls started. Um, also, search groups organized to search the rainforest where the girls were thought to be hiking. By April 6th, the parents of both girls arrived in Panama. And for the next 10 weeks, no clues in the case were found, and most feared the case would never be solved. The parents even offered a $30,000 reward, which would have been equivalent to about $500,000 based on living standards in Panama. So, a huge amount of money and still no one came forward with any information. So um, they finally got a break in the case on June 14th of 2014 when a local woman turned in Froon's blue backpack, which she reported finding by a riverbank near her village of Alto Romero uh, in the Bocas del Toro province. The backpack was found nearly five miles away from where the girls were thought to have been hiking and near a remote unmapped village named Alto Romero. In order for Chris, uh, Chris and Lisanne to get to where the backpack was found, the girls would have had to climb through at least five miles of dense rainforest. So a lot of people right off the bat were thinking, you know, that just doesn't seem likely that if they were injured or lost, they would be able to make it that far um, in such a thick forest. And Joe, you've been to the Amazon. You could probably speak firsthand to how thick these tropical oh yeah the, the, i mean we were on trails that they pre-cut yeah for like and there were ones that they just didn't stop taking and it grows over real quick 
Like it's thick. You could so not go off trail. In a how lot of spots. far do you think you'd be able to walk a mile? Like how long would it take you to walk a mile off trail in a forest? Like, that? I don't know this area where I was, um, not maybe like twice as much. Okay. Cause you're like going around. So if you're just going through, you're not trying to hack your way and you're just walking. Yeah. Like you'd be covered in bugs and crap, but like, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. Mm, okay. But, and if you're injured, it would be, that was harder. flat ground though too. I wasn't in the mountains. Yeah. If I was injured, yeah, it'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. So sorry if I shot your narrative. I mean, I'm it, just being honest. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> I, it's probably more difficult in this area with how mountainous it is. And <clears throat> the thick vegetation. Yeah, if they're, if they're making a comment about how difficult it'd be, I would be more likely to just trust the locals. Yeah. So, uh, when the blue backpack was found, everything was organized and in perfect order inside. The woman had found, the woman that found it claims that the blue backpack was not there before. Therefore, that implies that someone put the backpack there shortly before it was discovered. Investigators found the following items uh, inside the backpack. They found two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in U.S. cash, Froon's passport, a water bottle, uh, Froon's camera, two bras, and both of the women's uh, phones, which some of this is very unusual, and the the theories will get into that. And what was really interesting was with the discovery of the cell phones, investigators were able to pull the phone records and found the following call activity. So... Uh, Chris Kremers had an iPhone 4, and there was a lot of activity on her phone. So on April 1st at 1639, a call attempt one was made to a number 1112, which is the international emergency number used in the Netherlands. On uh, April 2nd at 814, uh, call attempt two was again to number 112. Uh, on 4, uh, 3 2014, at 9.32, so this is UTC time, I'm guessing, or military time. So, not you know, it's 9.32 in the morning. Uh, call attempt three was to 911, which is the emergency number in Panama. Then at 11.47, there was a the first check for signal. So th- that means the phone was turned on and a pin was entered. At 15.59 that same day, there was uh, the second check for signal. Uh, April 4th at 1016, we had our third check for signal. And then at 1342, we had our fourth check for signal. Uh, on April 5th, we had at 1050, our fifth check for signal. And now this is where it starts getting interesting. At 1337, we had uh, our sixth check for signal, but no pin was entered. And for the remainder of this phone, the pin was either never entered or was incorrectly entered. So April 6th, we had two checked for signals with no pin at 1026 and 1337. And on April 11th, the final day that they found activity, we had a check for signal number nine with no pin at 1051. And then on 1156, at 1156, the phone was switched off after uh, 105 with no further activity and the battery life was at 22%. So that phone went dead or silent. Uh, Froon's phone, which was a Samsung Galaxy S3, um, April 1st at 1651, there was call attempt number one to the number 112. Um, We had a bunch of activity on the second. We had call attempt two at 658 to 112. We had call attempt number three at 1052 to 112 and 911. And then at 1350, 
we had a check signal one. And at 1619, we had a check signal two. And then the phone is turned off the entire night. Um, for a three, we had one uh, note in the phone. The t it was turned off at 736. And then on April 4th, we had a check signal three at 450. And then at five, we had a check signal four. But then the battery died and there was no further activity. When they're saying check signal, is that the phone is reaching out and trying to get a connection? From what I read, it means the phone was turned on. Okay. Someone, at least with the iPhone, put a pin in, check for a cell signal. Oh, like, signal. The, okay, I'm, I'm thinking you're like drop a pin on a map. They put their no. like pin to unlock it. Unlock it. So that lets us believe that the girls are using the phone. At least in uh, Chris's case, for okay. the first couple of days, someone was using the pin and unlocking it and then checking for a cell signal. But then the last couple of days, someone was turning it on and either entering a pin, the incorrect pin, or was not entering a pin. So okay. very interesting. Okay. And I don't know with the, the Samsung phone, I, there was no log of a pin being entered. So I can't tell you if a pin was entered for that one. Okay. So something really interesting um, with the blue backpack is they found Lisanne Froon's camera uh, on April 8th, two days before the attempted final distress calls of the iPhone. Nearly 90 f flash photos were taken between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. in complete darkness. The photos were taken of a number of different things. A few photos identify their possible location at the time that they were possibly near a river or a ravine. Some, show, some photos show a twig with plastic bags and candy wrappers on the top of a rock. Another photo shows what looks like toilet paper and a mirror on a rock. Another shows the back of uh, Chris's head, possibly because she was injured and bleeding, or possibly this was an accidental picture taken by someone messing with her camera. And then the strangest one of all was photo number 509 was deleted from the phone. And there's been a lot of speculation about this. This wasn't just deleted. Um, one of the uh, people that was investigating this, I think one of their family friends or family investigators said that this photo wasn't just like when you delete a photo off your phone. Someone with... Um, Someone with the ability to plug the phone into a computer wiped it from the phone's hard drive. Okay. So um, they uh, they said... Um, like plugged it into a laptop, pulled it off the phone entirely and wiped it? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of discussion online about... They call it Photo 509. Some people claim it's a cover-up. Uh, maybe the killer law enforcement tampered with the phone. Um, also, they said some people speculate that the authorities in Panama deleted it. So, like okay. I said, the, the picture was wiped clean from the hard drive. So, that would take someone knowledgeable of hardware space allocation, connected the camera to the... That didn't camera. happen in the field. No, you couldn't do that in the field. Okay. So, someone connected the card to a computer and manually deleted any trace of the photo. So, a and, lot and of... for those that are watching the screen, there's sometimes like uh, watermarks and stuff. So, ignore those. Like yeah. that's not, that's not part of the picture. That's like the website that posted them. So I just little caveat. So, yeah. And there were some, there were some pictures that explain the dates of when some of these photos were taken. Yeah. Um, I'm it, going through all of them. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people speculated that something strange happened, maybe a cover up. The authorities are tampering with the, the device. Um, we'll never know. But with all of this new information, investigators now had additional uh, information to start a new search and especially because of how far away 
these items were found. So a new search was organized uh, specifically along the Coolbury River. We had another break in the, cl- the case not long after the search was uh, started. They found clothes. Um, so uh, Chris's denim shorts were found atop a rock on the opposite bank of the tributary a few ki- kilometers away from where Froon's backpack had been discovered. And then rumors started circulating that the shorts were found zipped and neatly folded, but pictures of the shorts published in 2021 disproved this information. So... Uh, and then finally, the big discovery happened. Uh, remains were found. So uh, searchers, searches continued as teams of foreigners and locals um, you know, canvassed the entire northwest area of Panama, finally two months after the backpack was found. So that would put us in, um, when did I say the backpack was found? Um, give me one second here. I'm scrolling back up. Um, June 14th. 2014 the backpack was found so remains were found in august of 2014 and um so like i said two months later if the backpack was found uh, parts of the two girls bodily remains were found and dna testing confirmed that the remains were those of the two women two women uh and i'm not trying to be you know gross or anything but just the these were the the documented remains found that law enforcement released. So a piece of pelvis bone, a boot with a foot inside, 33 scattered bone fragments were discovered spread over a large area. Um, Of the bones found, this is very interesting. DNA identified that the bones belong to at least five different people. So they actually speculate that multiple people have been murdered and dumped in this area. Uh, Froon's, Bones still had some skin attached to them and were discovered relatively uh, fresh, as one investigator described it. And Kremer's bones had been altered by a chemical such as lime. A forensic scientist also noted that the bones had no scratches on them, which is very odd. So that would almost rule out any animal that's, attack. That's what I started thinking originally. Yeah. and then. So like I said, Chris Kremer's bones had chemical remnants found on them, which was later proposed to possibly lime although no final answer was determined. Lime comes from limestone, a natural chemical that can be found in nature, but there are no lime deposits anywhere near the areas which the bones were found. When forensic teams tested the DNA of the bones, they identified that some of the bones, like I said, belonged to the two girls. In another twist, the team also found DNA of three more unknown people, which means that something strange has been going on in this area. And these girls may have stumbled across something that they weren't supposed to. So just some final additional thoughts on this case before we get into theories. So um, one of the things is the location of the backpack. Um, Like I said, if one of them was injured, there would have been no way they would have made this trip to where the backpack was found. I believe the picture Joe had up earlier, it was 9.3 miles from yeah. the start of the trail to where they found the backpack. So that is strange. There was some political involvement in this case. So when more evidence couldn't be found in the case, Attorney General of Panama claimed that the girls had died from a hiking accident shortly after the case was closed. But not all evidence was investigated. Leads and suspects were never interviewed. Investigators knew that the official story was impossible. 
The official version of the story makes no sense, said Enrique Aroca, the attorney who represented the Kremers family in the case. His communication was also unusual at the meeting. He implied in his voice and body language that he was being threatened but never identified by whom. He was accompanied by a bodyguard. Uh, he goes on to say, it's almost impossible for the bones to be in this condition. He pointed out that the lead forensic examiner had publicly speculated that lime might have been used to hasten decomposition. So, um, very interesting. And one of the theories behind that was that Panama's, one of their biggest revenue sources is tourism. So, the grisly murder of two college students from the Netherlands wouldn't look great. Yeah. And they're not implying that maybe law enforcement did it or anything, but the fact that they're just, they just, they wanted to go away. They just be, wanted to go away because they don't need that getting out there. That information would yeah. be bad for business essentially. Yeah. Um, so another, uh, another thing that I found very interesting was um, obviously, as Joe mentioned in the location profile, there's a lot of indigenous people in this area and some of them are very remote and don't, you know, they don't see modern people very often. You know, there's still, I think, is it the Amazon rainforest? There's still probably undiscovered tribes of people, or was the I, final group of indigenous people I don't finally know if they're, contacted? I, that's that's a North Sentinel Island off India, I think, is like the oh. last uncontacted. And a couple people have gone there, but they've been like murdered by the tribe. Yeah. Because, yeah, the Indian government keeps people from going there. But so. uh, at some point in 2020, a mass grave had been found nearby in a nearby region in Panama that contains the body of a pregnant woman and six children. Nine indigenous people were arrested. Police rescued a further 15 people whom they believe were next in line for a similar murder, according to a statement from the public prosecutor, uh, prosecutor's office. One of those arrested was the grandfather of some of the murdered children. Police were originally alerted by three villagers who escaped the site uh, the, area is also, the area is so remote that helicopters had to be used to ferry the injured out to hospitals for treatment. Um, it's also important to mention that there are many indigenous tribes, potentially hundreds located throughout the area. According to a 2000 census, uh, there are more than 285,000 indigenous people located throughout Panama. Um, and we're not, you know, saying that we're not blaming them, but they could be very defensive of their land. Yeah. And foreign people come stomping through the forest. And just like Joe mentioned that Sentinel Island, um, they could have been killed because the indigenous people thought they were, you know, invaders. Or maybe they were stomping around in, you know, a religious site. Or who knows? Yeah. Um, so, and this is a theory that people have. I don't know that this is potentially the theory I would have. Um but so that is just another potential um, cause of their death. Uh, just a couple of strange facts about the case. The skulls of the women were never found. Um, if, you know, if they had decomposed naturally, more bones would have been found, including the largest bones, such as skulls. Um, like we mentioned, there were no scratches on any of the bone fragments. Um, so that would rule out animal attack because you'd, you'd find bite marks and, you know, things like that. Sure. Um, another when I heard the bones were scattered. That's what I immediately thought. And then they were like, it's actually a bunch of people. I was like, okay, that's, well, yeah. maybe still could be an animal. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hold it. Okay. Um, another thing was about the backpack appearing mis mysteriously. 
um, and the contents of the backpack. So there was still money in it, $83. There was phones, you know, things that if someone was robbing them, they would just take everything. That's that's another thing that stood out to me is when you saw everything, it's like, okay, if they're robbed, what do they take? Because yeah. everything they had valuable was left behind. And it was neatly in the backpack. So you, you would think like if they were suffering from dehydration or injured, would they leave everything neatly packed in their backpack or would they be frantically like grabbing stuff and trying to call and... Yeah. Um, so that was that was interesting. Um, you know, an, another weird fact about the case is where the remains were found miles from um, where they were supposed to be hiking, um, both upstream and downstream different rivers. Um, you know, could they have made it that far injured or lost? Um, and then one set of bones was bleached, basically. That's strange. Especially, you know, it'd be one thing if lime was throughout the area yeah um that almost makes it seem like like the investigator said someone tried to cause decomposition they happen faster um and one of the ladies you know there was still some skin on one of the bones that the investigators described as still fresh which is very strange so um and, and yeah, how much later was it like you said a couple months it was so the backpack was found in June and the remains were found in August and they okay. went missing in April. And if you died in a tropical jungle. Yeah. It's not like it's winter where it says frozen and no, there's mummified animals, there's bugs, there's all kinds of stuff that would be decomposing that. Yeah, that's okay. And mm. uh, you know, there's so many strange things about this case. So, during the 11 days they used their electronics, they never attempted to make phone calls outside of business hours. That's kind of odd. Um, you know, people suggested maybe they're being held captive. Um, you got the, the added fact of all these other pe people's bones were found in the same area that suggests maybe, you know, there's some kind of drug thing going on out there or maybe paramilitary or something where they found these people and they had to get rid of them. Um, so yeah, very strange facts around this case. Um, I, <laughs> what do you think? Tell me what you think. I don't think it's animal attack. Okay. Though there's a lot of things in the jungle that could probably kill you. Um, like almost everything. I think if it was an accident, they would have been found, the remains would have been found more intact, closer to the trail they were hiking, not okay. so far away. I think it's very odd they were found in an area with other bone fragments from several other, you know, missing people. Mm -hmm. um, the bleaching of the bones. I think that they stumbled across maybe some kind of drug operation or paramilitary operation or something of that nature and were captured and killed. And then whoever did that was trying to dispose of the evidence, similar to um, those other people that must have met the same fate, and then planted the backpack later, maybe to look make it look like they maybe drowned in the river or something like that to throw them off the trail. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with the indigenous tribes. Um a lot of this is a really popular hiking trail. A lot of people hike. Okay, you would think if there was an indigenous tribe in there that was hostile towards 
you know, outside people hiking that this would happen a lot more frequently. Sure. You don't hear about that. Yeah. We would hear about that, I think. Maybe it does happen. I don't know. I yeah. <laughs> I say that and then someone will email us and tell us that we're wrong. But Well, it seemed to garner a lot of attention. If this was happening constantly, I feel like it would be big news yeah. if foreigners were constantly being murdered in uh, and I read, a country. I read all kinds of articles from 2014 up until recently, and there was no mention of others being killed by indigenous people. So I'm going to rule that out. I don't think yeah. it was that. I don't What do you think? I so I was going back and forth like the entire time. Every time you like told me something new, I was like, "Oh, maybe it's that now." I was thinking, uh, my initial hunch and gut reaction was injury, and wandered off course for whatever reason. Like maybe put their stuff down and wandered off yeah. and got lost. That was my initial, and then the whole thing with multiple people like because when you said multiple bones i'm like okay maybe they wandered off died and animals got to the remains and it's just spread out because that sounds right yeah but then you said it was a bunch of different people the lie on the bones was a big one because that breaks down like that's something i think the mob used they'd put a body in a bucket of lie and it would dissolve it over time because it's very acidic i pause i i did forget to mention two odd facts <laughs> okay um so i'll change my opinion again potentially no i think it 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 bolsters my theory, probably yours, but a strange photo showed up on a dead local's phone. A photo of two foreigners, a brunette and a redhead, possibly Chris and Lisan, showed up on the phone of a drowned gang member only four days after the girls disappeared. Oh. We don't have evidence that it was those two girls. So but it was uh, just like somebody, well, a foreigner, uh, red, okay, red hair. Very a rare. Brunette and redhead. Well, a redhead in general. Yeah. In Central America. Well, they're foreigners. They said two foreigners, a brunette and redhead. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's a brunette and a redhead. This is speculation, <laughs> yeah. but I'm fathoming the guess it was probably them. Yeah. And then um, the tour guide involved was the last person to see them and also the first person to find their remains. This tour guide from Bukat has family members likely involved in gang activity in the region. He expressed fear at times during the interview process. So I I can't believe I forgot those two facts because... Yeah, they're uh, pretty pivotal to the <laughs> yeah. whole story. Yeah. You know somebody's been listening. It's like, you didn't talk about the phone <laughs> in the... So, yeah, I sorry to cut you off. What were you nope. saying? No, that's uh, that definitely shifts things a little bit. So yeah. shame on you for waiting so long. <laughs> if this is how you build uh, anticipation, you've done a, a good job. Um. Well, yeah, now I'm like 90% assuming it's some sort of abduction or um, like sexual assault or something. So if yeah. like, because the idea is they've been traipsing around this area for a while. So the locals know what's going on with people. Yeah. So if they, you know, two, two young women by themselves, unfortunately for, you know, that it seems like a prime target. Yeah. So if you have a tour guide then who is talking to his family members who happen to be gang members and like, oh, I'm giving a tour to these two. They're they're good looking young women. Yeah. Um. Maybe like it was harmless initially, and then it went too far, and then you have unaccountability gang members in the area. Yeah. That maybe knew where they were going to be, followed them in there, and. Yeah, it's strange. It I'm sure people can speculate what happened next, but that's to like that seems like the most likely thing. And especially if you found pictures of them, and I'm assuming that's a photo because that is a pretty darn accurate description of yeah. 
How many brunette and redhead foreigners were together in the country at that at that time? That day. Uh, yeah, on that day, or like within that week, that disappeared. Even, that well, even, not even that disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Like just like that, a local would have a photo of like yeah them, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I think it's gang related, or like I said, drug related, or um, the li- the lie in the bones to me is what did it. And they've been there long enough that maybe they started meeting some of the locals, mm-hmm. and you well, know, if they're trying to find charitable organizations to help. They're going to be. They seem like explorers they're gonna go so live i'm the sure culture. word got out that they were there they were there yeah. and you know maybe they were held in captivity for a bit and that's why those cell phones were being turned on and off they were maybe hoping to get signal yeah um that that part is still strange to me i could see that if you were injured and you know you wanted to conserve battery you check every you know twice a day mm-hmm. um but it then it's weird that someone was trying to do it with the wrong pin number. So it's like, did they find hers, find her phone and then take it away? And yeah, I don't know, but I think it's gang related. I think it's gang related. I think that's a, that's a murder and they dumped the bodies. And I think stuff. based on a lot of what I read is the, you know, local law enforcement may have covered up some evidence, not necessarily because they were complicit with it, but just because, you know, they don't want the word getting out that people are getting murdered. Yeah. That would damper tourism. Or maybe they're on the payroll. I mean, who knows? You don't know. Yeah. I I would lean towards they're paid. They're paid like they're a, like they like as they're investigating, they probably have a couple if they're a big gang, they probably have a couple people that they pay off in the department that can yeah, mess with the evidence and stuff. Yeah. We'll never if Yeah, if it's a race in a specific way, Unless you catch someone doing it, it's like, oh, what happened? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Yeah, and just the fact that the attorney for the family feared for his life throughout the case and yeah. had a bodyguard. Like, um, I think this one, you know, a lot of our episodes are, you know, we don't ever usually think it's murder. That's because we're not covering those types of cases. <laughs> yeah. We covered the one, mur- which was was a murder. It was solved. Yeah. The murder on the AT. Um. I think this one was a murder. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, okay. That's sad. <laughs> that's, that's sad. Way but to go. Way this to was a case, case yeah, that a lot it, of people good one. wanted us to talk about. Um, yeah. I, I think I they probably just wanted it. to hear a theory on it. Yeah. I Because that seems pretty clear cut. Yeah. If it's not, it sure as hell looks like a murder. Yep. So. All right. Anything else to add? No. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Also, YouTube, where you can find the videos of each episode. And if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some sweet, sweet swag. Additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account on YouTube and Apple subscriptions, where you'll be able to have access to special events and additional shows like the one we're going to be recording right after this. It's just for paid customers only. Lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>